Welcome to the Vineyard Boise Sunday Message Podcast. You can join us live on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, and vineyardboise.org slash live. Subscribe to our message podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And if you'd like to support Vineyard Boise, you can give online at vineyardboise.org slash give. Today's message is brought to you by Pastor Brent Jones. Enjoy. As Pastor Trevor said, we were in the middle of 40 days. Actually, we just started 40 days of prayer. And if you haven't picked up one of these cards yet, uh, please do on your way out today, or you can just head out even while I'm talking. I won't be offended. And you can grab, I might call you out, but I'm just kidding. Um, I can't see that far. It's fine. Um, but go grab one of these and make sure you're staying up to date with us. This is, uh, we're headed into our second week of 40 days of prayer. And the way that that works is uh, there's a, there, uh, I'm going to turn this way so it actually looks like I know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> some of you got that. Some of you are going to in just a second. Um, so every week there's a banner verse that we're following for the whole week. And then daily there are, pr- there are verses and prayer points for your day. And so um, just stay as up to date as you can on that. And, um, you know, my family plugged into a little bit of that this week. Um, not all of it, because we're a family and that's real. Uh, and we did what we could, right? And so anyway, so that's how you can follow along. The easiest way is on this next slide. If you just scan uh, this code here, you, it'll take you to our devotions. That's the easiest way to follow along uh, with 40 Days of Prayer is through the daily devotions. It gets sent right to your email. Um, it can also come to you as a podcast as well, and you can just listen to Pastor Mike read it to you, which I love to do. So uh, that's awesome. Um, so join us any of those ways. I'm getting a lot of echo up here. I'm not sure what's going on, but just, I don't know if you guys care in the back, but I just thought I'd let you know. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So 40 Days of Prayer. Talking about, uh, and I just want to welcome everybody joining online. I want to welcome my family that's that's joining us online, all six of you at home. Welcome. I'm glad you're awake and up and ready to roll. Um, welcome to those of you that are online with us and those of you that are on campus. What I love about our church is that whether we're online or whether we're here on campus, we're one family. We have one heart to see Jesus Christ lifted up here in Garden City and in Boise here in the Treasure Valley. That's our heart, together as a family. And so we do that together, whether you're joining us virtually or whether you're joining us here in the room. Uh, we're one. Isn't that right? And I love that. And so um, I'm going to pray this morning, and then we're going to dive into the Word, and we're going to talk about praying for home. So God, I just thank you for today. Lord, I thank you that we can be here in your house. Lord, I thank you that uh, we have the freedom to gather and just worship you and bring you praise and lift our voices and lift our hands and lift worship up to you. And today, Father, I ask that you would be exalted and glorified in everything that we say and do. Lord, let, Lord I'm asking that um, you would just speak through me uh, and that you would change our hearts and change our lives, God, as we dive in to this 40 days of prayer together. Lord, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. You know you're a pastor when you try to make football religious, and so I'm just going to resist that temptation. I'm going to resist it. There, I did it. Okay. The moment passed. Okay. <laughs> I almost went there. I don't know. It was just automatic. It's like you stand up here, you feel like you have to reference games of yesterday, even if you watch them or not. It doesn't matter. You know the scores, and so you're going, I'm not going to. 
Uh, thank you, Larissa. All right. <laughs> All right. So, you know, as we've been talking about prayer, we've been talking about, uh, last week we talked about uh, personal prayer and how to apply that personally to you. And, you know, this week we're turning outward and we're, we're, we're praying for home. And there can be a really, t- a real temptation as we say, we're going to pray for home. That if you're like, oh, well, you know, I don't, you know, you, I don't really have a, a big family, or I don't have kids, or I don't have a spouse, or I don't have this, or I don't have that, you can be like, oh, this message isn't for me. And here's the challenge today. Praying for home is, home is that first thing you turn to once your prayers turn away from yourself. So last week we talked about praying for our, praying for our individual life, praying, praying for our individual walk with the Lord and, and praying into that. Home is that first thing you see when you turn outward from praying for yourself. That's home. That's right around you. That's what's immediately there. So that's what, that's what I want us to apply this message to today as we talk about prayer for home. We're not just talking about prayer for, you know, kids. It's, this is, you know, for, for me, kids is an easy reference. I have a lot of them. So I, I can reference them very quickly, very easily. I can think of them in my head right now. Don't worry, kids at home, I won't say your names. It's fine. But, you know, I, this morning I had a really sweet reminder about the importance of prayer. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 says this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. This is kind of the basis of what we're doing for the next 40 days. We're taking time out of our year to let our requests be made known to God. Now, for some of us, those requests might be, Lord, draw me nearer to you. For some of us, those requests might be for healing. For some of us, those requests might be for others. But in everything, with thanksgiving, through prayer and supplication, we let our requests be made known to God. And I, I said this morning, I had a sweet reminder. I have a, a good friend in Kenya who, whose name is, is Pastor David. And Pastor David pastors a wonderful church in Eldoret, Kenya. And he messaged me this morning, and I loved it. He, 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 he doesn't know I'm preaching today. Uh, I don't think. That would be weird. But um, <laughs> I didn't tell him. And so anyway, he messaged me and he just said, hey, uh, pastor, he said, I remember so much the prayers you prayed for me. I just thought that was so, that's an interesting memory. I, pastor David, I met at a conference for pastors where I was preaching and I preached quite a few messages actually to a whole bunch of pastors. I prayed for a couple hundred pastors at the end of every service. And I remember David, he's, he's wonderful, and we communicate weekly and, and often, and it's wonderful. But this morning, his message to me said, hey, pastor, good morning. I remember so much the prayers you prayed for me. Not the messages you preached, the prayers you prayed for me. Why? Why is prayer such a, why is prayer so much more important to someone than maybe a message that they heard at a conference or a, you know, or a podcast they heard or something someone said to them? Why is prayer so important? Because prayer is powerful. Prayer has a power that simply speaking things does not have. Why? Because I'm communicating directly with the creator of the universe for something or someone. Prayer has a power that other things just don't have. Prayer is powerful. 
So this week, our prayer focus is home or family or those directly around us. And this week, our, our, uh, our passage is Genesis chapter 18. So let's read it together. Genesis chapter 18. You can turn to it if you can. It'll be up on the screen too, but if you have uh, your Bible or a device with you, go ahead and, and open it up, turn to it. This is one you might want to just kind of go through line by line. Genesis chapter 18, beginning in verse 16. We're going to read the whole thing, 16 through 33. And let, let me give you a little bit of context. So Abraham has his tents out in the wilderness, and he is living there. And the Bible says that um, three men, that's what it says. It says three men, and they, and they can, some people say they're all three angels. Some people say two of them are angels, and one was God. When Abraham talks to them, he says, the Lord. So we know that they're, that, that there's, that God is involved and however, whatever form these three beings took, but Abraham honors them and they show up, they show up at Abraham's tent and Abraham honors these three men by making them a meal. Well, actually he has a servant make them a meal. And then he, he has them, asks them to stay around and eat the meal and honor him with their presence at his tent. After they eat the meal, that's where we pick up. In verse 16, he says, Then the men got up from their meal and looked out towards Sodom. As they left, Abraham went with them and sent them on their way. Should I hide my plan from Abraham, the Lord asked? For Abraham will certainly become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. I have singled him out so that he will direct his sons and their families to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. I want to read that again. I have singled him out. I've singled him out so that he will direct his sons and their families to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Then I will do for Abraham all that I have promised. Then I will do for Abraham all that I've promised. Verse 20. So the Lord told Abraham, I have heard a great outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah because their sins, because their sin is so flagrant. Verse 21, I'm going down to see if their actions are as wicked as I've heard. If not, I want to know. Verse 22, the other men turned and headed towards Sodom, but the Lord remained with Abraham. So do you see this picture? Two of these three turn and and keep walking towards Sodom. One says the Lord stays with Abraham. 23, Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away both the righteous and the wicked? Suppose you find 50 righteous people living there in the city. Will you sweep it away and not spare it for their sakes? Surely you wouldn't do such a thing, destroying the righteous along with the wicked. Why would you, why you would be treating the righteous and the wicked exactly the same? Surely you wouldn't do that. Should not the judge of all the earth do what is right? I didn't say it, he did. Okay, 26, the Lord replied, if I find 50 righteous people in Sodom, I will spare the entire city for their sake. Boom, prayer answered. Then Abraham spoke again. 
Since I've begun, let me speak further to my Lord. Even though I am but dust and ashes, suppose there are only 45 righteous people rather than 50. Will you destroy the whole city for a lack of five? And the Lord said, I will not destroy it if 45 righteous people are there. Prayer answered. Verse 29, then Abraham pressed his request further. Suppose there are only 40. And the Lord replied, I will not destroy it for the sake of 40. Verse 30, please don't be angry, my Lord. (laughs) Abraham pleaded, let me speak. Suppose only 30 righteous people are found. The Lord replied, I will not destroy it if I find 30. Then Abraham said, since I've dared to speak to the Lord, let me continue. (laughs) Suppose there are only 20. He cuts it. Do you see how he changes the equation? He went from 30 to 20. He's no longer moving in fives. He's moving in tens. Then the Lord replied, then I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. Finally, Abraham said, Lord, please don't be angry with me if I speak one more time. Suppose only 10 are found there. The Lord replied, then I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. When the Lord had finished the conversation with Abraham, who finished the conversation? He was done. <laughs> when the, it's, that's what it says. It says when the Lord, I didn't make that up. It says when the Lord finished the conversation. He went on his way and Abraham returned to his tent. He went home. That's the end. That's it. That's our passage for today. They pray, like Abraham goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth with God. And let me point out one thing before we get, I just have a few points I want to I make out of this and then we're going to wrap up with a prayer time. But you know what, what, what God could have said in verse, 30, verse 32 there? And every time, actually, every reply was, it, he says, then I would not destroy it for the sake of 10. What he could have said was, I will not destroy it for the sake of you, Abraham, because you're asking. See, God's plan was already in place. He already sent the other two guys. It's happening. Sodom and Gomorrah was going to be destroyed. Abraham steps in. And so for the sake of Abraham, God was going to do something different. That's prayer. For the sake of Abraham, because Abraham was asking, God was going to do something different. Then what was going, then that's why he says at the beginning when they're at the tent, they all stand up from the meal. He says, should I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? In other words, should Abraham wake up tomorrow morning with the entire valley below him on fire without knowing what's happening? Or should I tell him? Because he's the one that's going to be a great nation. I picked him out to bless all people. Should I tell him? And then he says, I'll tell him. And so he could have said, for your sake, Abraham, I'm going to do this thing. That's prayer. Prayer is when For your sake, because of what you've asked for, God does something. 
That's what we're talking about this morning. When we're praying for our home, when we're praying for our marriage, when we're praying for our children, we're praying for our household, when we're praying for those in our direct circle right around us that we could reach out and touch, we're making requests of God to do things. That's how we pray for those right around us. Abraham is praying for who in this situation? Do you know? Lot. He's praying for Sodom and Gomorrah and saying, God, don't destroy them, but who lives in Sodom? Lot, his nephew. Not just his nephew. Lot was a little bit more than just his nephew. If you go back and read the last four or five chapters, there's a lot of history there with Lot. But Lot is, Lot's father died when he, was a, when he was small, and Abraham and his other brother took him under their wing and really raised him. And then Abraham said, hey, you can stay with me. You can, your household can hang out with me. Your flocks and herds can be with me. And he raised him and trained him and, and, and gave him everything, just like a father. So here, Abraham is praying for his immediate circle of influence, right, those right around him, those related to him. He's interceding for Lot. Today, I want to look at three principles that we can take from this prayer and apply them to our own prayer life. I, even, even as I was typing those words, prayer life, I, I had a little bit of a reaction in me. First of all, I remember hearing the term prayer life in church and thinking, wow, when someone said prayer life, I thought these people just have this kind of, this like lifestyle where they're always just in this constant, beautiful communication with God and it's this huge thing, you know, this whole, like, they must spend hours in prayer with him every day. It must just be glorious. They were caught up to the third heaven. Prayer life. Prayer life. Uh, if you were raised in church, you might have, I don't know what response you had, but. You know, that might be true for some, but I venture to say that is fewer than we think. Prayer life for me now is simply where my life intersects with God in prayer. It happens to be a lot more than it used to be. But my prayer life is where my life intersects with God, the creator of the universe, through prayer, thanksgiving, petition, supplication, seeking after more of him in prayer. That might be tomorrow morning at a prayer meeting or a church gathering or alone in my car or wherever. However, Simply a life that is intentionally intertwined with God in communication, thanksgiving, and supplication. Now, in no way am I lessening what an individual might be able to do who's dedicating like large portions of their day to prayer. I'm not lessening that. There are a few people like that in the universe, I'm sure. They're able just to dedicate large tracts of their week to just, that's amazing. I'm merely saying that it, at this time in my life, this is what I can do to increase my time with God in prayer. So I'm doing it. So if there's an opportunity like, like this, 40 days of prayer, if there's an opportunity where I get to increase my dedication to God in prayer, I'm going to take that. Do I hit all seven days, 100%, all the way through every week? No. I think last week, can I be really honest with you? I... I think I hit two of these all the way through. Seriously, you can laugh, it's fine. 
But you know what this did this week for me? It helped me draw closer to God, which is what prayer does. Prayer helps me draw closer to God than I was yesterday or even a few minutes ago. Prayer helps me connect with God. You know, it reminds me, um, a few years back, I had changed jobs, and every morning on my way to work, I was, I, for some reason, I just had Psalm 118 just going in my heart all the time, just for some reason. I started praying it every morning on my way to work. Not the whole psalm. Don't be crazy. It's long. I don't have it memorized. I'm not Mike. I have a little bit of it memorized. This much. This much I had memorized. You are my strength and my song. You have become my salvation. And every, it was like every morning I'd get into my car, commute to work, and every morning I would say, you are my strength and my song. You've become my salvation. And what I noticed was there was a relationship shift in me with God where I was saying new things to him. Have you experienced this? It's not the same old prayers. It's not the exact same thing I was praying yesterday, but I began to pray something new. You're my strength and my song. You're becoming and have become my salvation. You're doing something new in me. And so I'm responding to you with my words of prayer. My relationship with him was shifting. So it's important that, you know, that took as long as it took me just to say just now, that's how long I would pray in the car. It wasn't, earth-shattering. It wasn't incredible. I didn't get a gold star. But I, but I tell you, the most important thing was I didn't throw in the towel on it. I didn't just be like, well, you didn't pray in the car today, so you must not. No. The next morning, he was still my strength. He was still my song. He was still becoming my salvation, and that prayer was still true. Just because you may not do it as much as somebody else doesn't make it not prayer. So we're going to take three points out of this passage in, in Genesis 18. Number one is, and we're going to put them up on the screen so you can see them. Number one is to pray boldly, directly, and specifically. I could have broken that out into three, but I didn't want to talk that long, so I put it into one. Pray boldly, directly, and specifically. That's what Abraham does here. We see Abraham do pray in, th- in he says, I, he asks for exactly what he wants, from God. Pray boldly, directly, specifically. Ask God for what you need and what you want. Sometimes we beat around the bush or pray vague prayers in very general ways, but Abraham's example here is very specific. And as we saw, it gets more specific as he keeps praying. Do you notice that? He keeps zeroing in. He keeps narrowing his focus. And suddenly he's praying very specifically. He prays boldly. I find it to be true a lot. When I pray one time, my prayers are a little bit more general. But when I start praying daily or consistently for the same thing, things start to get a little bit more in focus. And I start to narrow in for that one person, that one situation, that one problem, that one issue. Have you experienced that? This we, as we pray, I, I could pray, you know, on, on Monday, I, I might pray this, you know, God, I just ask that you would bless so-and-so. On Tuesday, I might change my focus a little bit. Lord, I ask that you would just bless so-and-so 
with just abundance today and they would feel your presence today. On Wednesday, that prayer might come in a little bit narrow. On Thursday, I might, and by Friday, who knows, I might get a text that says, hey, could you pray for me today for this specific thing? God's doing that because he's prompting you, that urge in you to pray for them. And when you pray, it's okay to start out here. But as you pray, start to narrow that in from general to specific. From little like, oh, beat around the bush to bold. Asking God, like Abraham does here. Well, God, since we're already talking, I might as well ask you for more. Well, God, you haven't left yet, so I'm going to ask for a little bit more. Well, God, you haven't ended the conversation, so I'm going to... He does that six times. Which leads me to my next, next point. We're going to pray boldly, directly, and specifically. And then next, we're going to pray persistently. Persistent prayer is key. Not that God doesn't respond when you say something one time. He, that, he absolutely will. He's the God of the universe. That's not what I'm talking about. But when I am every day praying for something persistently, the Bible says that I am asking, I'm seeking, and I'm knocking on the door of something until it opens. I'm pursuing something in prayer. I'm pursuing it in prayer. I'm going after it in prayer. I'm going to do it persistently. He asked God six different times. And every time, he doesn't just ask for the same thing. Like we said, he narrows in his focus and he asks for even more every time he asks. He goes from the initial ask of 50 souls down to 10. Think about that. He goes from asking God to save 50 souls, save the city for 50 souls, down to just 10 souls. And while we could shrug this off as, well, he was Abraham, so, you know. (laughs) Think about this in context. According to this passage, he's standing there with God. Now, whether this is the angel of the Lord or not, it says that they have dinner at his tent, the two others travel towards Sodom, and the Lord stays there, and Abraham, it says, approaches him. Sometimes I think maybe we don't see what we're asking for in prayer because we don't understand who we're talking to. That we're approaching the God of the universe. A lot of times I can just like throw something out and see if it sticks, but that's not, that's not this intercessory going after something, pursuing the heart of God for someone in prayer. He stands in front of the Lord and he says, this is what I want. What's interesting about this is this is not something Abraham needs. Listen to me. It is never mentioned again that Abraham and Lot ever see each other. The Bible never mentions Abraham and Lot ever meeting back up. I'm not saying they don't, but the Bible doesn't record it. They never get back together. What does that tell me? This isn't something Abraham needs from God. This is something he wants. As a matter of fact, Lot has been kind of a pain almost all the time for Abraham. He's been kind of a pain. But Abraham still asks, not for something he needs necessarily. But so, now listen, lives saved, yeah, we need that, right? 
But this is specific. Abraham's asking specifically for something that he wants. And why why is he able to do that? That's our last point. We're going to pray boldly, directly, and specifically. We're going to pray persistently. And then we're going to pray according to God's nature. That's how Abraham prays here. He doesn't ask for something crazy. He's not asking for something that God would never do. He's asking according to the nature of God because he knows him. Abraham calls on God. Remember in our passage, Abraham calls on God not as a judge, but as merciful and righteous. Verses 24 through 25 say that. Abraham's asking God to act according to God's own nature, according to the way that he is, and not kill righteous people with wicked people. He's asking God to change the trajectory of the situation from going one way to going another way. Not because he doesn't, not because he's like, well, this is, I guess I'll just throw this out there. He's asking because he knows what God is like. He knows that if he had asked for one, God would have moved. In fact, God does. How many did we end up with? What was the final number? Ten. You know, somebody I read once was like, well, God still destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm not talking about that. You know what God did do? He rescued four. One didn't make it out of the rescue process. He went in for far less than Abraham even asked for. God met Abraham above and beyond what Abraham asked for. Abraham settled on 10. God did it for three. Why? Because Abraham knew the nature of God. God's heart is always to seek and save. Always. God's heart is always to rescue, always to redeem, always to turn the situation around. Listen, somebody has somebody in mind right now that you are praying for. And what you need to hear is this this morning, that God's situation is always to turn it around and redeem it, period. That's always his heart. I know the nature of God. We know the nature of God. We know his heart is always to save, always to rescue, always to go after, always to pursue, always to redeem. That's the nature of our God. So we can ask, we can pray, we can request accordingly. We're praying according to God's nature. And this reminds me of a story uh, out of uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 4 where we hear about this guy named Jabez. It's his, it's his 15 minutes of fame. It's right there, his story. Jabez is tucked right into, this, into a long genealogy where all they're doing is saying, the son of so-and-so was named so-and-so. The son of so-and-so and so-and-so was named so-and-so. And the son of so-and-so was named Jabez. And listen to what it says about Jabez. He gets a couple of verses. He just gets a couple of mentions. But I, I love what it says about him. First Chronicles 4, verse 9 through 10. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. And his mother called his name Jabez, saying, because I bore him in pain. His name actually means pain. 
Jabez called upon the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would, and I, I bolded some of these so you could read them. Oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border, that your hand might be with me, and you would keep me from harm so that, look at this, so it might not bring me pain. What's his name? Pain. And look at this. And God granted what he asked. That's all. That's all we read about Jabez. God says he was more honorable than his brothers, and God did what he asked. Why? What is between the sandwich of God calling him honorable and God doing what he asked for? A very specific prayer. He was born in pain. His mom actually names him pain. So pain is like his lot in life. But Jabez decides to pray according to God's nature instead of according to what he is named. Is somebody hearing me this morning? You see, his life trajectory is headed one way, and he says, wait, the nature of God, I, I, I'm going to pray, and he says that you would bless me, that you would enlarge my territory, that your hand might be with me, and that you would keep me from harm so that I might not be what my life says I'm supposed to be. And God did it. I'm going to ask that you would bless me, increase my territory, let your hand go with me and protect me from harm so that I would not be in pain. Not only does God grant him his request, but he mentions Jabez as honorable, more honorable than the other parts of the genealogy listed there on the page. Pray for your life, your household, and your situation. It can and will change the trajectory of where things might be going at the time because God willingly responds to prayer that's according to who he is. God willingly responds to prayer. God powerfully responds to prayer that goes according to his nature and who he is. I can just see God looking down at this guy and being like, oh, dude, your mom named you what? Yeah, let's do this. Let's fix that. You know what this also tells me? It doesn't matter what you were born into. It doesn't matter what name you were born under. It doesn't matter what people spoke over you. It doesn't matter what has the labels that have been put on you. God desires through prayer, through intercession, to change the trajectory of your life, your home, your children, your marriage, your situation, based off of his nature rather than the label that's on it right now. That's his desire. But what does that require? It requires us to know him. Because unless we know him, we don't know what he wants to do with our situation. You know, I can pray for people to be healed because I have actually seen God heal people. Now it's just a matter of like, oh yeah, I've seen God do it, so I'm going to pray for it again. I've seen God heal people. But before that, when I hadn't seen God heal people, I prayed for people to be healed because I read it in here. This tells me his nature. This, no other book, 
Nothing, no other ideas, no other thoughts, no other, I don't care what, I don't, I'm not, what I'm saying is this is the final authority on the nature and goodness of God. And when you understand who he is from reading his word, then your prayers have a power because you're praying according to who he is, not just, you know, something on a whim. But you know, like Jabez, God would not want me to spend my life as pain. I'm praying something different into my life. And he prayed specifically. I have that little prayer memorized because someone gave me a a 20-year-old book that bears that same name. It's called The Prayer of Jabez. I I mean, you guys, it's really short. It's a few pages. I don't even remember most of it. I just remember the verses in the prayer. So I prayed over my life. I prayed over my marriage. I prayed over my family. I prayed over my business. Oh, God, that you'd bless me indeed. You'd increase my territory. Your hand would go with me and you'd protect me from harm. Because that's his nature. Praying according to God's nature means we have to get to know him. Abraham praised his prayer. We're going to watch a video here, just a a quick Bible project video on Abraham, just really quick because I feel like it's important. But Abraham praised his prayer for Lot and Sodom out of this newly formed covenant with God. You see, in the chapter before, in chapter 17, Abraham actually makes a covenant with God. And so this prayer that we see out of chapter, in chapter 18 comes out of, it doesn't just come out of nowhere. It comes out of an experience of covenant, of getting to know God. All through scripture, Abraham, Abraham is referenced as a father. And his family is propped up as this idea from God to bless the nations of the world. You'd think that a family that God chooses would be at least close to perfection. You'd think. So I just want to watch this video really quick. Go ahead. We're walking through the book of Genesis, which is made up of these two main parts. And the first part begins in the garden where we watch humanity spiral downward in self-destruction. And it ends in the Tower of Babel where a rebellious humanity is scattered by God. Then the second part of Genesis zooms in and focuses on just one family. And right in the middle is this story that links the two parts of Genesis together and helps us understand what the whole book is all about. So how do we get from the Tower of Babel to the story here in the middle? Well, after the scattering at Babel, there's this genealogy, and it follows one of the tribes all the way down to this one guy named Abram. You probably know him as Abraham. And God starts making all these promises to Abraham, like he's going to bless him and give him a ton of kids. And he says that through him and his family, all the nations of the earth are now going to find God's blessing. So basically, God is trying to restore humanity back to the goodness of the garden and to his original intentions for the world. So it's like his rescue plan for humanity. And that's why the whole second half of Genesis is about this one family. And so you have, you have Abraham, and then he has a son, Isaac, who has Jacob, and then Jacob has 12 sons. And to each generation, God renews his promise to bless them and all nations through them. So because of this promise to use this family to rescue the world, it's pretty easy to read these stories as examples of how to be a good person. But actually, for the most part, this family is totally dysfunctional. So for example, let's go back to Abraham. This whole story is about God giving him and his wife Sarah a family, but two different times. He basically gives Sarah away 
to other men by denying that she's even his wife. And then Sarah gets impatient about having a son, and so she makes Abraham sleep with her servant girl, which then causes all of these other problems in the family. So they get really old, and you begin to think that there's no way they're going to have a kid of their own. But then, miraculously, they do. It's Isaac. And Isaac, he has two sons, Esau and Jacob, and it seems like things are going pretty good. But Jacob... The younger brother wants the family's inheritance, which belongs to Esau, the older brother. So he devises a plan where he's going to steal it from his father, Isaac, who at this point in the story is now old and blind. Which who does that horrible stealing from your blind father? Yeah, and then he just takes off. So Jacob goes on from there to have 12 sons, big family. But Jacob loves his 11th son, Joseph, way more than all the others. And so he gives him the special technicolor dream coat. And his brothers, because of this, come to hate him. So much so that they plan on killing him. But they don't. They instead just sell him as a slave down in Egypt. Now, while in Egypt, through this crazy series of events, Joseph goes from being in a prison cell to becoming the second in command there. And so later on, the the whole Middle East falls into this food shortage. And Joseph's brothers, they come down to Egypt looking for food. And then when they get there, who should they find as the ruler of the whole land? It's Joseph, that guy they sold into slavery. But he actually saves them from starving to death. And so here you have it. These are the great-grandchildren of Abraham who have done this heinous act to their brother, But God has transformed their evil into something good. And that's exactly what Joseph says here in the last paragraph of the entire book. He says, you guys planned all of this for evil, but God planned it for good to save people's lives. Now, these words, they conclude the book because they actually summarize the message of the whole story so far. Humans keep choosing evil, and we are thinking they're they're screwing up God's plan, but he keeps turning their evil back into good. And somehow, he's going to use this family to restore humanity back to the garden. So that's the book of Genesis. But we still don't know how exactly he's going to use this family to bring us back to the garden. Well, yeah, but this is just the first book. So that's what the rest of the Bible sets out to answer. Yeah, so good. You know, it's interesting. We, we talk, you know, Abraham, Abraham, Abraham is just this, you know, this amazing Abraham. He was just so, you know, what I find interesting about Abraham and his, this covenant that Abraham's family makes is that Abraham's family was never able to keep this covenant. Abraham, God makes all of this, this, Abraham makes these promises to God and God makes promises to Abraham, but Abraham is never, and his family, generation after generation, they're never able to keep their promises with God. They don't actually ever keep up their end of the covenant. They're consistently wandering, always straying from God's ways and disobedience. But even though they never keep up their end of the deal, do you know what? God always does. God always does. In our family, you know, Kate was supposed to speak with me today. We had some family stuff come up. She was supposed to be up here with me, and hopefully you get to hear from her again in the future. But we were talking about this this week, she and I, and we were just talking about how, you know, um, Uh, We haven't always done everything right. In fact, 
we feel like we do more things wrong than right in our home. I don't know how you feel about your home or your walk with the Lord or your prayer life. You know, we, we've talked about like we by no means have this whole prayer thing down. We by no means have this whole family or home thing down. In fact, most days it feels like it's the opposite. <laughs> but you know, even when we are not faithful, God is always faithful. As Kate and I talked about it, we've done a couple of things right. And I just want to mention this as a side because I feel like it's important. We don't give up. We try again. And we don't let inconsistency and mistakes rule over us. In our home, we're quick to repent. We don't let offense, hurt, or sin linger around. We're quick to repent. In our home, uh, Kate started this thing. I think it came from our kids. She'll tell me when I get home. I can't quite remember. And we call it the do-over. We call it the do-over. Sometimes you're just having kind of a day. Sometimes you're just having kind of a week. Sometimes you're just kind of having a pandemic. (laughs) And you need a do-over. Sometimes you need a do-over in your home. Sometimes you need a do-over with your spouse. Sometimes you need a do-over with your kids. Sometimes you need a do-over in your circle of influence right around. You need a do-over with a friend. You know, and there's several times in Genesis where people in Abraham's family get renamed. They get a new name. God just says, hey, I know you're called this, but now everyone's going to call you this, FYI. He renames them four different times, four different people, Abraham and Sarah, both. They were renamed to be Abraham and Sarah. God gives them, I just look at it as this do-over. And that do-over enables them to press in and do what God's called them to do, even though they're about to make huge mistakes. Let's stand together this morning. You know, we're heading into our second week of this 40 days of prayer. And this might be, you might be joining us today. So this might be your first week in the 40 days of prayer. That's awesome. You still have a bunch of weeks left. (laughs) Some of us might feel like this morning, maybe in prayer, maybe in your marriage, maybe in your family, maybe in your relationship with Jesus, that you need a do-over. And I'm here to say that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is a God of do-overs. He's a God who willingly opens up his arms of grace and says, yeah, let's start again today. So I don't know how you've done in the 40 days of prayer so far. I don't care. Today we get a do-over. I don't know where you're at in your relationship with Jesus today, but I want to say, if you feel the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart and saying, man, I've made some pretty big mistakes that I feel like are standing between Jesus and me today, you can have a do-over. Today, moms, today dads, today sons, today daughters, 
you can have a do-over. And so we're going to sing this song together. As the worship team, they're just going to sing it over us today. And as they do, I, we're going to pray in just a minute. We're going to respond to prayer. I just felt like this morning, specifically in this area of repentance, for a fresh start, specifically in this area of just, I just need a fresh start in Jesus. We're going to pray for that. So, so if you can, hang out. Don't leave just yet. We're not done. Okay? We're just going to sing for a minute. And, head, and we're just and we're going to pray together, okay? So go ahead.
that his blessing is not determined by our faithfulness, it's determined by his. I said the blessing of God is not determined by my faithfulness or your faithfulness, it's determined by his. It's determined by His goodness, by His nature, by His willingness to step in and change the trajectory of someone's life that's right around you and even of your own. So God, this morning we respond to your great faithfulness. Come on, we're going to sing this again with all of our might. And we're going to just receive. Will you just this morning, if there's something you need to repent for, just go ahead and do that right now. If there's areas where you failed and we all have, do that right now. Just speak out your repentance to God right now. Just say, God, forgive me. Repent, name it, and let's move forward. Because today, we're moving forward in the blessing, the goodness, and the favor of God. Not because of our own goodness. Not because of our own righteousness. Because I'll tell you what this morning, we have none. The Bible says that you and I's righteousness, our right standing before God that we have to give, that we have to present, is nothing but a filthy rag before Him. Our righteousness is in Jesus Christ and Him alone. And so this morning we stand justified by faith in Jesus Christ. And today we can say, God, forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of my failing. Forgive me when I've turned my back on you and respond to His great faithfulness this morning together. Let's sing it again. Let's sing, may his favor. Here we go.
singing amen, we're saying, let it be so. Amen, sing. Amen. Let it be so, let it be so in my life and my family. Amen. I receive your blessing, God. Amen. I respond to your favor, God. I respond to your faithfulness today, God. Sing Amen. Amen. God, today we receive your favor. We receive your blessing. Lord, as we press into more days in prayer, more days in seeking your face, God, I'm asking for your great blessing on the lives of everyone represented here in this room and online right now in Jesus' name. I speak your blessing, God, on this church over everyone represented today, over every household represented today. May you hear our prayer, hear our cries, receive our prayers, God. And Lord, would we know your great blessing, your great favor today as we move forward forgiven, 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 and moving into your favor and your goodness, God, today. Thank you, God. Lord, we receive your blessing today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. If you need to just hang out for a little bit and just sit in the presence of God, feel free to do that. We're just going to keep playing for a few minutes. I want to remind you that the meet and greet today is right out these doors in Auditorium 2. We'd love to see you there. God bless you. Have an incredible week and the rest of 40 days of prayer this week. God bless you. Thanks for listening. To respond or receive prayer after the live stream closes, please email prayer at vineyardboise.org. And if possible, include your phone number. We'd love to get in touch with you. Thanks.